All right, this morning, you know, we've been kind of following Moses along, but uh, I want to jump ahead. I thought about preaching on the Red Sea, but I just kind of want to jump ahead to to uh, passages kind of been on my mind. I've just, these last few years, been these last couple of years since 2020, I've been seeing a lot of things. You know, stuff that people used to just speculate about, about, you know, the with the direction the country's going and everything and and the way thing we've kind of gone from here to here, you know, and we just seem to be on this slide. But uh, you know, a lot of people are like, Well, how did we get here? And when I look back, you know, I see all these different signs, I see things that were taught during this time, you know, that kind of lead up to this till we get to this point. And I'm being purposely vague. But when we look at our, our nation, our country as a people, you know, there were times when this nation drew closer to God. You know, I remember one time years ago, I was preparing a Bible study lesson. Dee Dee was selling her smell. I called them smelly rocks. But uh, don't get mad. But it was, uh, she made money on them things, but it was salt and oils, you know, and they smelled good when you'd heat them up. You know, it was kind of a prelude to Scentsy, but she was at this show. Anyway, I was talking to another woman there as I was preparing the Bible study, and she was Jewish, and she said, you know, I remember D-Day, and she was an older woman, but she said, you know, or it was her mom that was talking, I can't remember, but she said, you know, I remember at that time, I remember when they finally announced D-Day, because it was quiet. D-Day was the beginning of the end of World War II. That was when we got all of our soldiers on the beach. That's when they started to push Germany back. But nobody knew what was going to happen. And uh, when you look back in history and you see what did happen on those beaches at Normandy, you know, um, the, the death that happened... So when the announcement was made, the only equivalent I can think of is when the space shuttle exploded when I was a kid and everything stopped in school. But what she told me from back then was that she wasn't Jewish. Her teacher was Jewish. But when they found out that D-Day was going to be happening or that it had happened or whatever, the teacher stopped the classroom and she spoke to him, and she said, let's stop and let's pray for all of those men that are going to be fighting and dying, you know. And they, the, as a class, they stopped and prayed. I guarantee if you did that today, there would be an uproar. There would be a lawsuit. There would be screaming. There would be hollering. So we got from one point to where even a Jewish woman could join with, you know, Christians and non-Christians in prayer for a joint cause for America to the point where we can't even pray for ourselves sitting over lunch. And it's like, how do we get to that point? Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation from extinct, away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. We're fast coming up upon that point. Now, this is Ronald Reagan, and he's talking about the freedom of the U.S., but this also applies 
in Christianity. This, you know, God has children. When you get saved, you become a child of God. You receive an inheritance, you know, or you, you're in line for an inheritance when you get saved. But the thing is, God has no grandchildren. So by default, it, just because you follow and serve God doesn't mean that your children will continue that. So you go from that time to this point now to where, you know, we can't even, uh, where it's even weird to pray in the middle of a restaurant or something like that. I guarantee you, you'll stand out, you know, if you pray out loud in certain places. So how do you get to that point? Well, we look in the Bible and you go back to Judges chapter 1. And we look at where they were in the book of Judges. And they were coming into the promised land. In Joshua, they had conquered the nations, you know, the different nations. And they came in to the promised land. And in Judges, they're in the promised land. And you look in chapter number 2 here. And it said, uh, starting in verse number 10... Judges chapter 2, verse number 10, and this is just by way of introduction. It says, And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so they could not any longer stand before their enemies." And whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. And the Lord said, as the Lord had sworn unto them, and said they were greatly distressed. And then it goes on to talk about the judges. But the key part here is verse number 10. It says, and also that generation were gathered unto their fathers. That was the generation that went with Joshua, that came into the land, that was out in the wilderness, that saw all the things that God had done. That generation passed away. And within one generation, it says that there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. It got so bad to the point they had followed God step by step through the wilderness. Now, there was a lot of problems that took place. There was a lot of times that they rebelled against God. There were times that God was ready to kill them. There was times when Moses was ready to let him let God do it. But all through that, they followed the Lord into the land. They marched around the walls with Joshua. They blew the trumpet and they saw the walls fall down. They saw God's hand in delivering them into the land. They saw God's hand in delivering them across the Red Sea and away from Pharaoh. They saw God's hand in feeding them in the wilderness and God's hand in giving them water when they were thirsty and providing for them. And they they also saw God's hand in what happened to those that rebelled against God. So they get into the land and something happens to where the children come along and they don't understand everything that the fathers went through to the point where if you look in Judges chapter 16, verse number 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, 
But every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, I've always read that, and, and I see that in the Israelites. I see them over there with Micah in his own little church service. He's doing what's right in his own eyes. He makes up his own way to worship God, and we see that take place. But I also see it nowadays. Every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. So how do we get to this point? How did they get to that point? Well, it started off with conquest when they came into the land. They were promised a conquest. Look over in Deuteronomy number seven, uh, chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is God talking to Israel. And, and God's telling them what's going to happen when they come into the land. And he's warning them what not to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God's, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, and then he names them, the Hittites and the Gerishites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. So he, he points something out. Now, this is harsh to read nowadays. It's like we, we use the word genocide. It's, it's getting rid of everything. But just leave the Bible in its context when you read this. This is what God told them to do, and he explains why they need to do it when they go into the land. It says, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. So God lays out, they're going into the promised land, and he's saying, you left the pollution behind in Egypt. Now, doctrinally, we see how this applies to Israel. They, they were literally supposed to go in there into clean house and to take all of that stuff out of the land and not to mix with the people there. Now, how does this apply to us devotionally? How does this apply to us in our own lives? We come out of Egypt, we get saved, you know, we get past all the compromise that we talked about with Moses and Pharaoh, and we get to the point where we're serving God. We, we want to walk the Christian life. There's things to put behind us, the Bible says, to put on the new man. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, I'm just going to read it to you. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity the obedience of Christ. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. And then elsewhere, it talks about revenging all disobedience, putting, be, being angry enough about being mad to put it out of your own life. Over in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, the Bible says, These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that you live upon the earth, 
You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you shall possess serve their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And you shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And you shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. And you shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and thither shall you come. And what God is talking about there is taking down all of their altars. You go up to the mountain, you see an altar, you tear it down. You burn their idols with fire. You destroy it. You utterly get it out of the land. And he says, when it comes to worshiping me, you're going to worship me in the place that I tell you to. You're not going to do it up there on the mountain with their altar. You're not going to do it with their stuff. You know, a lot of times people get in... They, they get saved, but then they want to add a little bit of this to it. They want to add a little bit of that. One of the, one of the examples I, I've known is, you know, when you look at voodoo, it adds in a lot of icons from Christianity. They begin to make their own way to worship, their own God. <clears throat> but he's telling them not to do that. But in the place which the Lord shall choose... Uh, Take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest, but in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there shalt thou offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do as I commanded. Look back in Judges chapter 1. So we're looking at Israel coming into the promised land, and we're asking the question, what happened in one generation why did the next generation quit following God? You know, in your Christian life, there's things that you may allow in your life. There's things that you hang on to that you know you should get rid of. I've heard the saying, and I hate it, but it's true. What you do in moderation, what you practice in moderation, your children will do to excess. And we know that's true, right? I mean... I, yeah, I'll give it. I remember my stepdad, you know, I don't think he drank in moderation, but I remember his Jack and Coke, Jack and Coke. I remember I got to the Navy, buddy. That was my favorite drink, Jack and Coke. Not now. You look back and that's just stupid, but your, your kids begin to magnify your sins. So when you begin to back off of your worship of the Lord, when you begin to back off on following the Lord, your kids are going to create a bigger line between the Lord. So when they come into the land, God told them to smite them, utterly destroy them, make no covenant, show no mercy, no marriages with them, destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their images with fire. So with the first thing we see is compromise. And the question is, why did they compromise? When they came into the land, they didn't do all of these things. When we get to verse number 19, verse number 19, and the Lord was with Judah and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. One of the first things we see is fear. When they were fighting against the enemy and they could stand toe to toe with them, they were just fine. But when they got to this other enemy and there was, they were fighting against chariots of iron, they began to back off rather than going to the Lord. In our own lives, there's things that we come up with that are just too hard to get rid of. And we back off on it and allow it to stay in our life. 
in our country, there's things that were too hard to get rid of, so we back off of it and allow it into our life. You look back in the, in the early 20th century when they had the prohibition on alcohol, and they got rid of it, and they stomped it out. But it still thrived underground, and it got too hard to get rid of, so they allowed it back in, and they just dealt with it. Then we get up to the 1980s. You had the drug war. You had all of the, the death. You had all of the money that was made. It got too hard to keep the drugs out, so they just back off, and they begin to legalize drugs around the country. They begin to legalize marijuana. And you say, you're being awful specific, preacher. Well, let's just get down to the corn, right? I mean, let's just talk about the things that get left in our lives. In your own life, there's those besetting sins that are hard to get rid of. They're chariots of iron. You just look at them, and it's like, man, I just can't beat that. You leave it in your life. So these compromises begin to take place in your own life. And in our country, we've seen these compromises that take place. And one of the other compromises, so there's the first compromise is fear. There's a fear of getting rid of it, so you just allow it to stay. It said, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. And then it goes on. And, uh, and the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Biz- Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. They began to leave these different tribes in. One of the other things is it's hard that one of the other compromises that people make in their life is they actually get some usefulness out of that thing. When you look at uh, verse number 28, it says, And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. So they began collecting money from the Canaanites. They, began, they, they left them in place, but it was benefiting them. And, and just one of the quickest relations on that is when we do the lottery. I remember when the lottery was first, first voted on in Texas. And these are just by way of illustration. When the lottery was first voted on in Texas, and I remember the, the debates about that. But you know, I always call the lottery a tax for people that are bad at math. It doesn't help. I mean, you say, well, we get some benefit out of it, right? That money goes towards schools. That money goes toward this and toward that. The thing is that once that was allowed in the door, how much of that money do you actually think goes to those other places? How much of that just becomes revenue or a slush fund? So by allowing that in, by not chasing the Canaanites out, but rather putting them to tribute, then we've allowed that corruption to grow. And, and I just give that by way of illustration again. But in our own lives, there's things that benefit us that we just don't want to let go of. There's some people that are doing jobs, you know, that, that they, they just don't want to let go of the money or they just don't want to let, you know, they're getting a benefit out of it. One of the other, so this is the compromise of favor. I called it money. They just hung on to the Canaanites. Well, we're getting use out of it. We're supposed to get them out of the land. Yeah, well, they're not really hurting anybody. And look, here comes another, here comes another wagon train with the money, the tribute money that's coming in. We got them under control. We've, we've got them under our thumb. So there's favor. There was some of them that they favored. 
And I look down here, and I just want to give you some headli- uh, headlines here. Verse 29, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Verse number 30, neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Neholo, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Verse 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Alab, nor of Akzib, nor Elba, nor Aphek. But anyway, they go on. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. The, the last compromise, you have fear, afraid of the iron chariots. You have favor. You begin getting something out of it. And then the last compromise that takes place here, we have fellowship. They're not at an arm's distance. They're not just for tributaries. They're not just somebody that you're afraid to fight, but there's just outright fellowship and allowing it in your life, allowing it in the camp. And the fellowship was those people in the land. God commanded them not to marry, not to give their daughters to them, not to give their daughters to their sons. But they began to allow them to stay in the land, and they began to get along with them, and they began to fellowship with them. Well, they're fine people. I mean, there's some good people among them, right? And that's how we get. The, the, the worse the crowd that you hang out with, you can still find good in people. But it's, at some point, you have to understand there's a reason to keep sin out of your life, to keep it at arm's length. And here they had fellowship. So we have the conquest. We have them coming into the land. And then we have the compromise. We see step by step. How did they fall? How did they get to that point? We see them allowing these things to stay in the land. God told them what would happen. And we get to chapter number two. Judges chapter number two. And we see the consequences. It said, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. So verse number two, he recounts it. He says, And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land, and you shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? He said, wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before, from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. They quit trusting the Lord, and they quit turning to the Lord. They got into the land, and they began to, to conquer land and conquer territory. And, it's, you know, it's like a young Christian. He's getting in there and he's knocking back sand. I tell you, I enjoy going to the jails. I enjoy the possibilities that are there. You know, do I, do I look for those guys to go out and begin preaching or, or, or leading a church? No, but I'm praying for them. And I hope you pray for them every Monday night, 630, but pray for them. They got to move on their heart and God will give them strength in those hours of weakness and they got to hold them up because they're surrounded. I mean, when I'm when I was just waiting on that steel door to open up, I'm hearing F-bombs dropping back and forth between the glass, you know? And I'm just standing there waiting to get in. But uh, praying for them. But, all right, 
So ye shall make no league. Wherefore, I also said, I will not dry them out before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side. So they began to, instead of following the Lord through what he said and what, the God, what God leads you to, he'll lead you through. Amen. What he calls you to do, he'll equip you to do. If they had gone into that land, if they had gone up against those chariots and they had said, we have to go forward anyway, Lord, we need your help to overcome this. God would have helped them to overcome those chariots of iron. But by fear or whatever, they just said, just like the giants in the land, oh, they're just too much for us. They're over there. We're over here. We don't have to have all of this land. We don't have to have all of what God promises. You know, a, a Christian will back off on all that God has promised them. You know, we're to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. We'll back off and say, well, you know, that area is just a little too hard to conquer. I'm just going to back off. I've made this much ground. I'm going to back off and hold here. And you end up missing out on all that God has for you. And I'm not talking about cars. I'm not talking about blessings. I'm not talking about spreading a seed and getting a tree back, you know. I'm just talking about conquered territory in your life. You back off through lack of faith. The others said, well, I see a little bit of money here in this and this, and it's benefiting me, and I can give this over to the Lord. You know, if I make more money here, I can, I've got more to give to the church. It ends up being more about this than that. So he said, wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went, every man unto his inheritance, to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. During all of that time, as long as Joshua was alive, as long as those elders were alive that had been with God in the wilderness and somebody started to get out of line and the elders said, look, this is, this is how God took care of us. Or maybe they just went on living like we do. I think about here in this country how we've backed off the ground, backed off the ground, backed off the ground until we're backed into the church. You know, the last place left. And I, I said earlier, I hadn't looked at it, but I, I think they're really trying to push into the church with legislation that they're passing. It's going to make the church vulnerable. So when the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders did outlive Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And then we get to verse number 10, the lost generation. And it's a sad story for Israel, who had followed God in the wilderness for 40 years to make it into the promised land, only to fall away from the Lord. When we look in the book of Judges, we see them worshiping other gods. As it goes on, it says they turned after the god Baal, they turned after. They, those altars were left up. They were able to go to the altar and begin worshiping. They were beginning, they left the people in there. They were able to learn about these other gods when all they had to know about was the God of Israel, the God who had delivered them out of Egypt. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. 
fear, favor, and fellowship. They came into the land they were able to conquer, and they suffered the consequences. Now, this is a bad spot to leave it, isn't it? To say, well, here we are. We're not where we were. And it seemed like a sad thing. But I tell you what we do have. We still have the same God that was able to deliver them. We have the same God that was with our fathers. He is the same yesterday, today, and evermore. Your walk may be a singular walk. It may be between you and the Lord. But have you, have you left the iron chariots? Have you been collecting tribute from somewhere? Or have you just joined in fellowship? It's just questions to ask. The most important question is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because fellowship with God starts with him and ends with him.